is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture and Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Welcome in. Happy Halloween on this October 31st edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. Also live Tuesdays at 11.15 a.m. on the Baylor Bears, or excuse me, Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365 YouTube channel. If that's how you're uh, taking us in this week or how you normally do and you haven't hit that follow button, that subscribe button, or the thumbs up button, we'd appreciate it if you do that as we try to grow that channel and just send the show out there a little farther uh, with uh, the reach that we can get from your support. So we do appreciate you. Welcome in. It's a brand new week, and yet it's another week where we're going to be talking about a loss for Baylor football in Big 12 play as the Bears now are 3-5 and five on the year, 2-3 and three in the Big 12 after the latest loss to Iowa State. We're going to be talking about that. Also looking forward to the game this weekend against the Houston Cougars, a long time coming, but uh, behind the scenes, got Garrett Ross pushing all the right buttons, making us look and sound good. Do appreciate him. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com writer, also 365 Sports Radio host, and joined as always by Grayson Grudhafer, Director of Broadcasting for Sikkim365.com, also a team reporter. What, what, what am I missing from your title here? Uh, co-editor. Co-editor, <laughs> all that stuff. Director of Broadcasting, I mentioned that. Uh, but, yeah, throw other titles in there if you want to or not but uh frustrated too I, I would imagine is, is what you are this week Grayson yeah I mean just another really bad performance and I, I mean they're just stacking bad performances and and the worst part is is these games are at home and, and the last two have been at home against teams that aren't very good uh, I mean I uh, I was state okay they're four and one the big 12 so maybe aren't that good as the wrong term, but they lost to Ohio. That, that's not a great team. And then Tech is three and five, and Baylor got blown out by them at home as well. So it's been really frustrating to watch this team show up and say all these things during the week about how important winning is and how important this game is and how important showing up in front of your fans is. And then just getting blown out again and again. And I know this game ends up being 30 to 18, but. I mean, that was due to some, not garbage time scores, but definitely late in the game scores where the game was already over. Um, It's just tough to watch week after week from this Baylor team and really disappointing to see the the effort that's been put forth at this point in the year. Yeah, so as I mentioned, they are now uh, 3-5 and through eight games. There's one month to go in the season, starting with this Houston game. So four more Saturdays, and then it's done. Unless they find a way to go 3-1 and one in these four games, uh, that will be it uh, come the end of November for this football team and their 2023 version and this uh, particular uh, chapter in the Baylor football story, the 2023 edition. Uh, if they can go 3-1, and one, which is there's maybe a way, but it's really hard to see it because, I mean, honestly, it'd just be – super glossing over most of what we've seen through eight games and just pretending like all that didn't exist to think that they go three and one. But let's say that they do, then they could make a bowl game or they would make a bowl game. And uh, what a story that would be uh, based on where we are right now. But uh, Houston's coming up. We'll get to that. Let's start with Iowa State, though, and just unpack this and talk about it and then move on from it. We'll also have a mailbag to close out the show as normal. So I uh, do appreciate you being with us, but uh, let's let's roll into Iowa State 30, 
Baylor 18. And you mentioned uh, the, the woes at home. This game from the outset, uh, rain, 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 <laughs> go away. Uh, it was homecoming weekend, and so festivities got a little bit dampened uh, tailgating-wise and whatnot because of the fact that there was you know, off and on downpours of rain. The storms rolled in. Uh, this past weekend, and I know speaking for myself, we had an earlier pregame show. We get there, like, way earlier, so I'm sitting in the, the media parking lot just killing time, you know. Like, I wanted to go just sit and be cooped up in the press box for, like, an hour and a half. So I just sit in my car. I'm listening to broadcasts, and the rain's kind of coming and going, and then uh, it comes down pretty hard for a little while, and I wait for it to stop, and it does. Eventually get out, and I'm like, all right, make the make the walk over there, which is like probably a third of a mile. It's a pretty yeah. good little walk. It's not terrible, but it's a pretty good little walk. And it's kind of spitting on me, and it's sort of fine. And I get all the way to the media room, and I get in there, and I throw my bag down. It gets checked. I go through the metal detector. It gets checked. And I'm like, all right. I go to grab my bag, and the lady looks at me. She's like, can I see your credential, please? And I look down, and I didn't have my credential on. And I had to walk all the oh, way back. Oh, no. And as I go to turn and walk out the door, that's when it starts to just <laughs> downpour, dude. <laughs> And I'm like, no, because I know it's 15 minutes to walk there and right. back, right? And the game's starting in a few minutes, and I'm like, I could make it, but now it's raining, so I kind of waited for about two minutes, and I'm like, you know what? I, I have no choice, so I had to walk all the way back. It just starts pouring. I've got no umbrella, nothing. And about 20 minutes later, I come sledge. I am completely soaking wet. <laughs> I mean, like, underwear, socks, everything soaking wet, and I just sat in the press box like some puppy, yeah, just that had been left outside <laughs> and absolutely miserable. And then I watched that on yeah. top of it. And so kudos <laughs> to the fans in the stands. Like, you, a lot of people I saw embracing it, you know, and just trying to have fun with it. And unfortunately, didn't get a lot to reciprocate. But uh, did you stay out of the rain? Were you, you able to, were you at the game? Did you stay out of the rain and all no, that? I got poured. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you were I, part of it. I got poured on for sure. And it started with the walk to the stadium. Yeah, getting yeah. Getting rained on. Yeah, I mean, it. It it really felt like, oh, this is how today's going to go. It did. Huh? It's it did. boring like this. We know Baylor can't run the football, and now they're supposed to just air it out in the rain. Oh, Yeah, great. and so when I went to turn and walk out the media door to go back, when I realized, I was like, just knowing what that meant. And I, I look out the door, and that's it's already started to pour down rain. I'm like, of course. I thought I had made it. I thought I had yeah. gotten the little pocket of time, and I said – and to the to people that were sitting there checking the door, I'm like, I guess it's going to be one of those days. And I just walked back out and got soaked. And sure enough, it was one of those days, basically. Yeah, at least it was, like, raining in 75 yes, and not what it much would so. be. Because oh, if man. it's, like, today, if it's raining yeah. in, like, 40, oh, forget about oh, it. Oh, that would have yeah. been awful. So, yeah, at least people could kind of just have, like, hey, we're just going to be soaked right. and we're going to have fun. But at least we're warm. And, yeah, we can, you know, uh, you know, have some fun that way. But, all right, let's get into this. Uh, this isn't as fun, so we're delaying it, I think, a little bit here. Uh, but Baylor, stop me if you've heard this before, gets the uh, opening kickoff and proceeds to go four plays and a punt. And the uh, big story uh, on uh, this was uh, trying to find uh, Drake Dabney for a huge play uh, right at the outset of this game and unable uh, to connect on the uh, on the big play that was there for the taking. And Grayson, this resulted in a wasted opening drive. Uh, they punt right away, which is far too commonplace when you're putting together the list of things that are just kind of way too commonplace this year. Uh, wasting opening drives. And this one, also the lack of execution part, as you should have had Drake Dabney for a big old gain right there out of the outset. Yeah, and a great opening play call with a, a play that they haven't really run very much. It was like a counter power with Dominic Richardson. They get 12 yards, and you're like, oh, 
Oh, they're going to run that, the football. And that is the play that Aranda pointed to in his press conference on Monday about, like, that's what the design was. Yeah. That's what they were expecting to be able to do. They had certain angles they thought they could hit against Iowa State, and that was, like, the prototype play that they were hoping to run all day. But that was, like, the only time we saw that play. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> like so the they, very ran beginning. It, they ran it two more times, and I think it only worked one, I think it worked one of the other two times, and then the other time it was completely yeah. blown up. But this is just tough because you get 12 yards on first down, and yes, you run the ball and don't go anywhere, but Drake Dabney has got to catch that football. Hit him right in the chest. It looked like one of those plays that does happen in football sometimes where it's raining, and so you overthink whether you can catch the ball with your hands. And so it looked like he was like, okay, do I catch it with my chest or my hands? Didn't know what to do. It hits him right in the chest. He drops it. I mean, that you can look at it a ton of different ways. That might have been like a 30-yard gain had he caught that football with the angle of the safety. He drops it. You punt. And that's such a huge play because as we go down this, Iowa State didn't have a problem catching the football in the rain. Those guys weren't dropping the football, and Baylor had multiple drops in this game. Yeah, and that could have very well led to a touchdown on the opening drive. Or a uh, field goal. Or anything. a field goal. It could have led to points, and instead – uh, you get the drop there, and that forces you into a third and nine, and you're unable to complete a pass to Monterey Baldwin, and you are punting right out of the gates. And then, man, Iowa State just answering that bell uh, like they would. Four plays, 55 yards. Uh, throughout the day, they were just a better team, and it showed at various points. But they take their opening drive, and uh, they go ahead and, and after a great field position, taking over at midfield, they're able to just coast on in. Uh, a handful of plays later, Rocco Beck, uh, to Higgins, big 18-yard touchdown catch to get the scoring started at 7 nothing Iowa State. And it's just like, here we go, man. Like the punt right away after the missed catch by Dabney, and then they take four plays, and they drive it down your throat from midfield, and then it's just boom, 7 nothing just like that. Yeah, 16-yard punt by your true freshman punter that yeah. has had a great year and rebounded from this punt nicely throughout the game at times, but this punt was dreadful. They only had to go 50 yards. I yeah. mean, and, and it was really unfortunate because I'm trying to remember it correctly but there I don't want to say that this had anything to do with the game but it did seem like a couple of times that Baylor got the football it would start pouring and mm-hmm. then Iowa State would get the ball and it would stop but this is one where Palmer was going up to punt the ball and it starts raining right as he's about to punt this football so unfortunate Iowa State again uh, easily scored on this drive they threw a 50-50 ball to Jaden Higgins uh, who beat I believe Tevin Williams on that one for the touchdown but too easy I mean their play call for Jalen Knoll was like this was something they designed all week that they said we're going to take advantage of what you can't cover. It was a short throw to Noel, and then he, I think, ran for like 25 yards to get the 26-yard gain uh, to really bust things open on the first drive. Yep, so uh, quick opening drive, and then you punt, and then you have the bad punt and give them good field position, and then you give up the touchdown a few plays later. So it's 7 nothing. Baylor gets the ball back, and six plays – uh, Garner's only 21 yards as they are forced to punt once again on their second drive. Um, had gotten up to about midfield, but then lost a one um, on a handoff to, or to a pass to neighbors. Uh, Shapin incomplete going for Pendergrass, incomplete going for Baldwin, and they uh, eventually punted, and it's uh, Iowa State football once yeah, again. Yeah, and this is one Travis posted a video of this, and very impossible throw by Blake Shapin here on third and 11, but he actually threw a catchable ball. I know Monterey had to dive, but... I mean, at times, like we've talked about this, you need guys to make plays. And that felt like a play that Monterey could make at least probably six out of ten times. 
and didn't make it during the game. I know it would have been a tough catch, but it would have gotten a first down on third and 11 and moved the chains. Couldn't make it. It was actually a heck of a throw by shape and to, to even give him a chance at completing a pass on that play. Well, a few plays later, Iowa State's got it all the way down to the Baylor 34, and Cooper Lands makes a play as he forces a fumble, and uh, Brooks Miller able to recover it at uh, Baylor's 33-yard line. So rather than go down potentially by two scores, uh, you've made a play and you've got the ball back. But unfortunately, you would not do anything with it as uh, they would take it down to the Iowa State 34-yard line, but on fourth down and seven, Incomplete going for Monterey Baldwin, and they turn the ball over with a little less than two minutes to go in the first quarter. Uh, so, boom, there you go. It's uh, seven to nothing at the end of one here. Uh, Iowa State gets the ball back, and uh, their drive started late in the first quarter, but would extend into the second quarter, and they would eventually settle for a 42 yard field goal by Contreras. So, it's 10 nothing. Uh, Iowa State at this point. Yeah, and it felt like Baylor really needed to score off of that turnover uh, on that last drive. But yeah, I mean, another drive where Iowa State just drove right down the field. Uh, you got an intentional grounding call on Rocco Beck that really allowed them to get a stop on this drive. Um, defense bowed up, played good late in the drive, forced a 42-yard kick in the rain, which you're just kind of hoping something goes wrong. It didn't. They executed, and 10-0. Baylor gets the ball back, uh, seven plays on this drive, and it would end in an interception. Blake Shapin picked off first and 10 at the Iowa State 48. So you had something going, and Blake Shapin gets picked off. Ball heads back to the Cyclones' way. So just uh, a whole lot going wrong here in the first half so far. Yeah, and I, I really, you know, I'd have to go back and look at it, but there was a play earlier on this drive where Shapin took the check down receiver and they got a first down on this drive, but he had Monterey Baldwin on a post going from left to right, and he had him. Um, but it's raining. You don't know if you want to make that throw. And then a little bit later in the drive, this play comes up, and it's Monterey Baldwin going right to left on a post. And this is the one where Shapin decides to throw it. And to me, this is where Iowa State's secondary probably saw that they missed on the last play and they need to keep an eye on it going forward, and they kept an eye on it, and the the safety that was below the play just came back to the football and made a play on it. It was a heck of a play. Um, honestly, you need to take shots, but I did feel like on this drive, they were moving it so well that it, it really did feel like you just needed, you know, conversions and continue to move the football. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to take some risks to win football games, and they did. It, it didn't pay off, though. No, uh, he gets picked off. Uh, good news that Iowa State would punt six plays later, so they get a stop. But then two plays after that, fumble. Uh, Blake Shapin throws it to Dominic Richardson. He gets uh, the ball knocked loose. Iowa State recovers at the Baylor 27-yard line. Uh, they review the fumble. It gets upheld. And uh, boom, just like that, you set the table for Iowa State, who would actually need seven plays from the 27-yard line to score, but they eventually do score as uh, they get the uh, one-yard rushing touchdown from Norton, and is boom, 17-0 Iowa State, just like that. Yeah, and this felt like the the play that kind of ended the game, or at least put this game out of reach a little bit for Baylor. I, you know, I, I, I watched it at home. I watched it quite a few times. I felt like the ground caused that fumble. I don't I don't really know how they came to the conclusion that he was fumbling the football already before his elbow hit the ground. I, I was yeah, I don't know. I was shocked by that to be honest, because it clearly looked like he had possession of the ball and then when his elbow hit the ground, that's when the ball came out. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I felt like that was a baffling call, and it gave Iowa State seven points. It, it was a huge call. Yeah, it did. It gave them good field position, and, and like I said, they uh, punched it in eventually after uh, seven plays, but it's 17 to nothing. Baylor, three and out in response, and then you're like, here we go, man. It's all starting to go downhill, but Iowa State right before the half, a little under two minutes to go. They get the ball back, and Rocco Beck gets picked off by Devin Bobby. Uh, first career interception for Devin Bobby, who would also lead the team in tackles on this day. Um, so he picks off Beck, gives Baylor the ball back at the Iowa State 40-yard line. So right before halftime, here they come rallying, you know, <laughs> like it's always the end of the half or the end of the game or whatever. So it's 17 to nothing, and they are able to cash in this time around. Seven plays, 40 yards in a minute of game time, and it's Dawson Pendergrass capping off a drive, an eight-yard touchdown uh, that had featured a little bit of everything, a lot of Blake shape and throwing it around with not a lot of time to play with, obviously. Um, but it is Pendergrass punching it in. Uh, Isaiah Hankins is good with the extra point, and it is 17-6 to as they would score uh, with a little less than a minute to go. Clock would run out to halftime, and boom, it's 17-6, uh, to and you're feeling at that point like it's miraculous that it's this, it's this close, honestly. Yeah. Um, it didn't feel this close. It didn't look this close, but it was... 17-6 to six at halftime. Yeah, so Hankins actually missed the extra point oh, on yeah, this one. He, sorry. It was blocked. It was another one of those yes. where, oh, the, the weather's rain. chilling out, and then it just starts pouring right as he's about yes. to kick this thing. It gets blocked, but it costs Baylor uh, because Keytron got hit by TJ Tampa on a crossing route, and it led to targeting, also led to Keytron Jackson being concussed. And from what we've seen from this team, it's basically Monterey, Keytron, and Dabney, and if it's not one of those three, there's not much else and it really, really hurt them the rest of this game. Yeah, I apologize. I just looked at Hankins' name, and I assumed wrongly. That's yeah. when the gates of rain opened <laughs> up again, right as the extra point was being attempted. And, yes, they missed it. They wouldn't make an extra point all day because then they would go chase two-point conversions later on. But, yeah, so it was 17-6, not 17-7. My, my mistake. And, yes, uh, Keetron Jackson gets knocked out. Randy would talk about this on Monday, and this is going to mean more Armani Winfield, but Armani Winfield played more in this game, but he wasn't ready to do everything that they needed him to do. So now they've worked on that this week, and he should be ready to do more of more of what's available in the offense at that position uh, because now he's going to have had the reps, whereas last week he didn't have the reps uh, like Keytron had had, so they couldn't just – it's not plug-and-play, basically. Yeah, and people made comments of this, like how could Aranda not have Armani Winfield ready, but the way that the practices go, the starters get the reps, the starters get most of the attention during the week, and then the backups fill in from there. Uh, Armani got more reps because how Presley has been out, um, but not exactly asked to be a true alpha on the outside like he's going to be asked to do uh, you know, until Keytron's back, which might not be this week. Yeah, it might not. Uh, he is one of several guys with head injuries coming out of this game, so it was a it was a, a whooping in in more ways than one. But yeah, so that missed extra point is seventeen to six. Let's get into the third quarter now, and uh, not the way you want to start opening drive. Iowa State drives it down the field, seven plays, seventy three yards, and uh, it is another Norton touchdown run, uh, forty nine yards on the touchdown. Just hear that back breaking. I do. Uh, it is suddenly 24 to 6, and you just feel the dread coming over a soaked McLean Stadium, which actually had some pretty rambunctious fans just soaked to the bone, but waiting for some good. And this was not the way to start off the second half and give people a little something to chew on. Uh, quite the opposite. So, yeah, it's 24 to 6, and this game feels out of reach because the offense is doing 
little to nothing. The defense just gave up another huge play as they've been want to do. And so, yeah, not feeling great at this point. No, and you're, this is a reoccurring theme. Iowa State, second and 18, and you give up 14 yards, and then they convert a third and four. Like, you go from second and long to third and extremely manageable, like the perfect spot Iowa State wants to be. Very next play, like you said, the 50-yard touchdown. It just it happened multiple times in this game where Iowa State would have second and long and then ends up being like third and five. Yeah, it's uh, really frustrating. Part of that's missed tackles. Aranda's mm-hmm. talked about that. You know, it's bad angles. It's it's part of its teaching, too. It's absolutely on, on the coaches to some extent. But, you know, when he, he did want to push back on some criticism, I guess it's out there about, like, they don't do this or they don't do that or just some of what people say that they don't do um, and said it's it's more of like – like some of it's not quite as it's made out to be, but the way that he explains it though, it doesn't make you feel any better because it's like, well, it's actually this guy's left shoulder. If it was just right here and it's like, but yeah, but like you've given like 10 examples of things that aren't being done right. That means they're not executing right. That means it goes back to the whole conversation about they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So are people really that off or, you know, so it's, I guess it's like tomato, tomato is like you say they're not in the right place. Like, well, they are in the right place. But the play's still not being made. It's, you know, it's the angle of the tackle or whatever. And bottom line, it's just not working. They're not right. getting stops, and it's, it doesn't look good. And to say that you're close is great. And he said that multiple times. Yeah. We're close. We're close to being where we want to be. And I just, the more that I watch this team, I, I don't understand how you feel like you're close. I know guys are in position, and they're missing tackles and not making specific plays. But, like... If you're not making plays, are you really that close to being good? Because most times that takes an off season. Like you come yeah. back the next year and then you start making plays. But right now they are not making plays. And, you know, we're going to find out really quickly because you can say that and then do it against Houston. But when you go play Kansas State and TCU and West Virginia even, I mean, you, you better be ready to make plays or you're going to get blown out. Yeah, so it's 24-6 after a huge run. They've given up a lot of those this year as well. And, um, and the missed tackles really were a huge problem in this game. Angles. Yeah. All that stuff. Run um, fits. Yeah. Um, Baylor gets the ball back. Three and out. Punt it away. Uh, and then Iowa State gets the ball back themselves. Five plays. 34 yards. They took over it around uh, midfield at their own 40-yard line. Take five plays and uh, get it down to uh, to Baylor territory and end up kicking a 45-yard field goal on fourth and one from the Baylor 26. So it's 27-6 to six now. And this thing's... Well out of reach. But then there's a little bit of spark because they, they're like the Dallas Cowboys. It's like even when, you know, things aren't – like they got to make it interesting at least and make you watch the end of the game, even though they're going to probably break your heart at the end. But Baylor, four plays, 75-yard drive. This is all about a uh, a big Monterey ball win touchdown as he keeps his little run of 100-yard games with the score uh, going here. But Monterey ball went on fourth down and four. I mean, last effort, like, this is probably all they've got left in the tank, and they are able to connect on the big play, 69 yards, the touchdown for Baldwin. At this point, they go for two and um, are unable to get that. Uh, So, boom, it just stays at 27 to 12. I was confused by this. You kick the extra point, it's 27 to 13. You're down by two touchdowns exactly. But you miss the two-point conversion, so you're down by 15. So now you have to go for a two-point conversion no matter what. And it just it, that was that was puzzling to me. And I know there's probably a strategy behind that of like, well, if we get the two here, and then we get the t-. but like when you didn't get the two to begin with, then you're now you're in a 15-point hole, and now you're chasing. So now you're in a 16-point hole, and then you know I, I didn't I didn't get that. I didn't get the the not making it a 14-point game there. 
But hey, it's a fourteen point. It's a fifteen point game. So. Whatever. Yeah, I think they were trying to pull a fast one on Iowa State a little I guess bit by so, going yeah. out there and doing that. I did love the play call to Monterey, though, on fourth and four. Oh, you had yeah, single amazing. coverage. It was elite, an elite play call. And you see this every once in a while from Jeff Grimes. I know consistency has been an issue in play calling, but that was excellent. Got him in single coverage. Great throw by Shapin. 69-yard touchdown. But you're right. I mean, the missed extra point ends up being huge because they would have just kicked the extra point here if it was 27-13. to 13. Then on the flip side, Iowa State's made two 42-plus-yard field goals, and you're just like, yeah. come on, man. This is after you just had a great uh, special team showing against Cincinnati, and then you come out here and do this. And you're right, though. I would have just kicked the extra point here. Yes. I couldn't believe it. And even more baffling, you run QB power against Iowa State to try to get two-point conversion. The one that we're going to talk about here in a little bit was a much better call. But, yeah, this one was confusing to me as well. So they uh, make it a 27-12 game, force a punt, and then go into the fourth quarter, a 10-play, 69-yard drive, and boom, just like that, it's 27-18 to uh, as they go on a lengthy run, a little bit of everything. But uh, Dawson Pendergrass there at the end, a five-yard touchdown. They'd review it. It was upheld. 27 to 18 two point conversion now yeah now you have to go for it and uh you you fail uh to convert on the two point conversion as uh, Shapin's trying to find Baldwin so it's 27 to 18 and and see there you are and it's a nine point game so now you're you need two scores because of the two point conversion situation so um yeah but t- 27 to 18 and they're at least showing a little bit of life there for a moment although you're looking at the clock and you're like where was this for three quarters but okay you know beggars can't be choosers i guess yeah and this was a great play call in the two point conversion monterey baldwin just dropped it yeah. i mean it hit him right in both of his hands that that should have been an easy conversion should have been 27 to 20 um but you could have looked back on kicking the extra point and saying oh it's 27 to you know 19 and now it's a one score game instead of where they were at See what I'm um, saying? Like, yeah. it's, it's kind of strange, but I, I'm trying to remember why. I remember going back and looking at it when it was 27 to 12, and thinking there was a reason why they did it. Because if you, if you, get, I know there had to be. Like they're not, they're not stupid. But yeah, just at the time, I was just like, that's that's weird. But yeah, because 27 to 14. But either way, I, I think this is one of those situations where just you had to go for two here, but you not getting it. Now you're just in. You need two touchdowns. And right. It's like that is so difficult for this team already. And as you see later in the game, it prevents you from being able to kick a field goal to cut it to one score. Yeah, so uh, wrapping it up here, Iowa State goes on a 12-play, 69-yard drive to answer these back-to-back touchdowns by Baylor, um, and that makes it a 30-18 game. Um, So, yeah, 12-play, 69-yards, could not get them off the field. They converted um, multiple first downs, got a third and nine, got a third and five, got a third and six uh, that eventually turned into that fourth and six and made him uh, kick the field goal, but did convert on a couple of big third downs there to keep the drive going. And so it's 30 to 18 there. Baylor's looking at the clock now. It's a 12-point game, um, but this is where it started to uh, to not go uh, the way that you hoped if you were hoping for that last-ditch miracle because they end up turning the ball over on downs, a nine-play, 53-yard drive. Peters out at the Iowa State 23-yard line as uh, they run Dawson Pendergrass on fourth and three. And, I mean, he it might it would have been as effective if he would have gone out in the parking lot and ran straight to the side of a van. I mean, it was like no chance. He didn't get an inch on the play. And it was so anticlimactic. Oh, my God. It was just, God. Like, it was just oh, like thud. And, thud just, and then ball game. Yeah, it's it just he fell backwards, and you're like, okay, oh, yeah. Well, that's game over. And this speaks to if you're only down by two scores, you could have kicked field goal here. And yeah, instead, exactly. And to cut it to 
to eight, but you couldn't, you had no choice but to go for it here. But you're, I mean, I don't know why they thought they were going to run the football on this play. I, I felt like you needed to put the oh, ball in Blake Shapin's hands and just hope that he could convert. I agree. It was, it was so anticlimactic. It really was. It was like comedy right. that he just slammed into the line and just nothing doing. And so, yeah, that just, I mean, any little bit of remaining air was completely squeezed out of the balloon at that point. So they he gets stuffed. Uh, they would force Iowa State to punt. But, I mean, at that point it's 30-18 to 18 and there's no time left. So uh, Baylor runs a few plays and, um, you know, Eventually, just uh, time runs out on their their efforts as they can't uh, complete a fourth and twenty six that you know wasn't going to end up doing anything with less than a minute to go. Um, but yeah, can't complete there. They turn the ball over. Iowa State kneels it out, and it's over thirty to eighteen. Cyclones win. Roll into Waco on the way out. Uh, at some point later in the game, their assistant coach knocks a window out in the press box, mm-hmm. uh, slamming down his headsets in celebration, apparently. I was actually thankful. I saw the picture of it after the game, and I thought a Baylor coach had done that. And I was like, oh, gosh, like this is going to be bad. Yeah. And, man, like frustration's boiling over. And then when I learned it was an Iowa State coach, like, oh, thank God. <laughs> okay, that makes, that makes everything better because, of course, they were excited. You still don't break a window. No. But, you know, uh, the – you just you understand if that had been a Baylor coach that had done that, what the perception would have been. Um, so yeah, an Iowa State coach was clearly excited. That's a big win for them. They're four and one in the Big Twelve, uh, but Baylor now um, in a, in a bad way. I mean, with a, a tough loss, three and five, and they've got to go three and one in this final month just to make a bowl game. They're out of the Big Twelve contention. Um, I mean, that's been the case for a while. Um, but just you know, putting more emphasis on that as Iowa State is very much in that thick of things so I mean your thoughts now as we start to pivot to Houston here and um, it's just kind of feels like more of the same man like and then Aranda talks on Monday and it's kind of more of the same and I love him and everything but it's just like dude I mean you know come on like where is the change week to week because I know there's little tweaks and there's little adjustments and there's things like that but ultimately the end result ends up looking an awful lot the same pretty much week after week yeah need to run the football and you run for 67 yards and need to protect shape and you give up two sacks eight tackles for loss against one of the teams that causes the least amount of havoc in the backfield and it just is more the same. I mean, they can't protect Shapen. They can't run the football, yet they put Shapen in positions where they have to just stand there and throw the football. And that becomes really, really problematic throughout the game. And I know they get on runs occasionally. Like we saw in this game, they had a back-to-back-to-back drives where they're moving the football. But then you get into situations where it's fourth and three. Can't run the football. You're forced to throw it. You get in fourth and four, and you're having to throw it deep to Monterey Baldwin. You get in these situations in the red zone where you can't score touchdowns because you can't run the football. Uh, it's just really tough. It's a tough environment to be in offensively. And then defensively, I mean, they're just they're withering away, and they continue to be that way. And their run defense has gotten worse and worse as the season has gone on. It's been pretty inexcusable with how many veterans they have up front. Um, but it, it's where they're at. I mean, they are who they are at this point, and now it's just going to come down to can they win on the margins? Can they force turnovers? Can they um, do stuff on special teams to win games like they did against Cincinnati and like they did against UCF? You know, the thing with this team is they've got to play a clean, perfect game, mm-hmm. and they're just they're not good enough to do that, but they have to like make the tough catch and then not commit penalties and then fall on the turnovers or – if they pick a ball off, run it into the end zone. You know, like they've got to do a lot of things like clean and simple and effective and get the biggest pack, you know, get the biggest punch that they can with the, the, 
the little power they do have in some instances, and they're just unable to do that consistently enough. Like they drop the catch, or mm-hmm. even Drake Dabney, or they have the penalty on third and short that makes it a third and long, and then you know what I mean. It's well, like when you're so inconsistent, yeah. a drop is like oh, it's, it's death. It's, yeah, it's a death blow. A a missed block, a missed tackle, like those turn into fifty yard touchdowns. Those turn into negative two yard gains. Like all of those things put this team back so far. Whereas you know, good teams they can make up for that. This isn't a good team and so you can't miss those little those little things yeah so 67 rushing yards you know he said the week prior that that was by design against Cincinnati when they didn't have very many rushing yards but I mean you're looking at a string now where they're not running the ball at all and when that's like hey we're not going to run as part of the game plan I mean credit to some of the defenses you're facing but man if we're at that point in the the structure of this thing should there ever be a case, like, unless they're playing Georgia, should there ever be a case where, like, we're just not going to run because we know it's not going to be effective? I mean, if that's not a white flag right there, then I don't know what is. And so, you know, he was asked about Richard Reese yesterday, and he's just like, oh, well, just, you know, part of the, the run, you know, game is not right like up his alley right now, and he's got things to work on. It's like, but he's got nine carries in the last three games. Like, he's going to have – half of his total from last year. And I get he doesn't need 200 carries, but he's going to have like 100 this year. Yeah, half. 100 less yeah. carries this year for Richard Reese. I mean, the, 100. But like the thing of it is, in general, they're they're not even close to running the football no, I at know. all. And no, so, I know. Yeah, like, so I know we look at that and go, oh, he's not even going to have – he only has 18 less carries than Dom Richardson. And like the thing of it is right now is that what how Aranda described it is exactly how – he, I mean, he described these guys perfectly. It's like, we need a guy who gets hit at the line of scrimmage and still gets two mm-hmm. yards instead of what Rich is so good at, getting to the outside, getting off tackle, or finding the perfect crease. Like, they're not creating any perfect crease. Right. And so, therefore, it just makes him super un, un, ineffective. But it's a killer for but, this team when one of your best yeah. offense players can't be on the field. Yeah, I mean, it's fine if he's not getting carries because there's not – something there but I mean that's alarming that he's gonna have such little impact compared to last like I know like just in general he probably needs like 75 less carries because he got way too many as a true Mm -hmm. freshman but at the same time like you're not even going to one of your best playmakers because you just already you already say like where it's not gonna work so I mean if that's not like screaming at you that there's major issues then I don't know what is so anyways uh, let's get into Houston here because we, we got stuff to move on to, but uh, you're, the Cougars, uh, man, coming off an absolute tail-kicking at the hands of Iowa State, I mean Kansas State, as uh, K-State starts to rev up down the stretch, 41 to nothing, um, And this on the heels of Houston having the valiant effort against Texas where it looked like they were going to possibly be able to come away with the upset against the Longhorns the week prior at home. And, of course, we know how that worked out, a 31-24 loss with a big controversial spot in that game with Houston. Uh, Houston on the move and a potential to go down and win it or tie it up, I should say, and maybe then win it with a two-point had they gotten the opportunity. But instead, they get the bad mark. They go for it on fourth down. They don't convert. Texas gets the ball and the win. So a tale of two very different games. They push Texas to the limit at home, and they go to Manhattan and get squashed like a bug on a windshield. Um, Your thoughts on... Uh, you know, just Houston rolling in a, a team that's similar to Baylor in a lot of ways. Bad run defense, um, not able to run the ball all that effectively. So those are two things that stand out as like they're almost mirror images of each other in, in that way. And uh, But, you know, 
Uh, you can argue who's got better playmakers and things like that, but uh, your thoughts on the Cougs? Yeah, I mean, I expected them to lose to Kansas State really bad, especially after the way they lost to Texas. They gave it their all. Uh, then they showed up in Manhattan, lost 41-0, to and pretty commonplace for them, troubles on the road. They lost to Rice. They gave up 43 points in that game on the road at Rice and lost. They went to Texas Tech, gave up 49 points in a loss, and then they went to Kansas State and gave up 41 points in a loss. If Baylor's going to move the football, this is the team to move the football. Yep. I mean, this is the team to put up points on uh, if they can. Uh, you look at Houston and their run defense. Uh, they've given up at least 141 points in all but two games this year. Uh, the two games were Rice and Sam Houston. Sam Houston, they played a good defensive game. But against Rice, the only reason they only gave up 69 yards is because they gave up 400 yards passing to JT Daniels and company. They are dreadful on defense. They absolutely are. The last four games, they've given up at least 140 yards rushing, gave up 239 yards to Tech, 155 yards to West Virginia, 141 to Texas, 179 to Kansas State. This is the easiest challenge Baylor has had since the UCF game where they ran effectively, which is one of the few games that Baylor's actually ran effectively all year long, which gives you hope that they can at least run the football competently against Houston. But on the flip side, Baylor's only ran for 100 yards four times this year. And in in four other games, they've ran for less than 70 yards. So that's kind of the polar opposites that we're dealing with here. And Baylor defensively is not stopping the run at all. Good news is Houston doesn't run the ball very well either. So like you said, it's very much, you know, where's this going to tilt? And this past week, we kind of said similar things about Iowa State. But this week, it's much more magnified. Um, between two teams that can't stop the run, two teams that can't run the football, and who's going to win that battle in the trenches. The good news is Houston, like I said, a bad road team. Uh, Bad news is Baylor is an equally as bad home team. So (laughs) take that for what you will. Yeah, I mean, they are some ways mirror images of each other. And, um, you know, then again, I think they've got more pop on offense that they've been able to show over and over. Donovan Smith is able to make some plays. He can be a dangerous quarterback. We also know he can turn the ball over from his time at Texas Tech, but he is capable of making some plays. He does some good performances this year. they got a good little receiving core, um, but they can't run the ball like you said. So I think they probably got a little bit more proven, explode, like more vast um, play, like a, a wider swath of playmakers maybe. Would that be fair to say? Like yeah, especially by with a no couple Keytron. of players. Yeah, it, it, with no Keytron, I mean it. Then Baylor's down yeah. to it's it's Baldwin and Dabney, right? Baldwin, Dabney, and maybe a running back this week. Yeah, maybe. But that's I mean, basically been it. Is Baldwin, Dabney, and 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 not even Keytron a lot, but like the last couple of weeks. So yeah, they're really down to like Baldwin and Dabney now, as far as proven, mm-hmm. consistent playmakers. Whereas I think with Houston, maybe more like a handful of guys that give or take a guy yeah, or two. Yeah, you got Gall. Matthew Golden, who I think is their best receiver, but he's actually not their most, stats-wise, their best receiver. Sam Brown, Joseph Manjack. Like, they have weapons. They're actually, I think, going to be a very similar challenge as Texas State was. And as far as what they're going to do in the passing game and the run game, and I know Texas State hung 42 on Baylor. You would hope that that was week one, and maybe it wouldn't be as bad. But based on what I've seen, I'm not sure all of that is corrected. One thing I will say, though, is... Baylor's secondary, while it did it did have a terrible performance against Iowa State, they have shown flashes in the secondary at times, especially at cornerback. So my, I guess I, this is going to be one of those games where how much have they improved? Because we're going to find out real quick because Texas State threw all over them. 
And we're going to see if Donovan Smith can do the same thing. Uh, as far as the run defense, though, that's gotten worse as the season has gone on. So I'm curious if Houston ends up finding some success there, which would be uh, a huge problem uh, for this team. Good news is, again, they don't run the ball well. Donovan Smith hasn't ran the ball as well as I kind of thought he would this year. He only has 187 yards rushing in eight games. So he, he really hasn't done much there this, this year so far. Um, but who knows? Baylor's been a get-right game for a lot of bad rushing offenses. Yeah, over 2,000 yards passing, a 16-5 uh, to 5 touchdown to interception ratio. He has been sacked 19 times. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, is Baylor going to have anybody capable of getting to the backfield? I mean, uh, so far it's been few and far between there. So um, there's some things to like about this matchup. And just the talent, like, even with their talent, Baylor should have a talent advantage top to bottom. Like depth-wise, they should have a talent. That's the thing about these newer schools. It's like they might have a quarterback, a receiver, a running back, a linebacker, whatever. They might have like some guys that you go, okay, those are great players. But the depth is where it all comes into play. Like that's where it all comes into play. And that's where the older schools have the advantage, you would think. Um but, yeah, what are your just thoughts, I guess, remaining here on Houston before we pivot a little bit? But, uh, I mean, we kind of broke like, – it's very much like looking in the mirror in some ways except for like a, a less deep version of yourself and just a little bit different stylistically, but they have some of the same struggles that you've had so far. Yeah, I mean, simply put, Houston gives up about 33 points per game. They give up 416 total yards of offense, which includes 254 yards passing and 162 yards rushing. They give up 65% completion percentage to quarterbacks. This feels like the kind of environment that Baylor should be able to have some success. I actually think both these teams are going to score points in this game. I don't think this is going to be a, you know, 20 to 17 type game. I, I do think this will be more like a 31 28 or a 31 27. Not because these two teams are great on offense or really good, just because I do think both defenses are that bad that these the points are going to be put up by Donovan Smith and Blake Shapin. Um, but in general, for me, the thing that I'm looking for is, you know, how much fight does Baylor have? Because Houston has been terrible on the road. And if you're going to get a home win this year, if Dave Aranda really is, you know, true to his word as far as, like, we need to play better in front of our home fans, now's the time to do it. And I know it should have been done a long time ago this year, but now's the time. You're facing a team that is in-state, that is just now coming to the conference. You already have two wins over two of the new schools. Can you do it in front of your home crowd? Because Houston's not better than Cincinnati or UCF. They're all kind of the same, in my opinion. And so you have an opportunity to play in front of your home crowd, get a win, provide what little momentum that causes. I mean, I think it's minimal, but still something to put out there. And so I think this is all about heart and want. In, in my eyes, I, I don't see any other way to, to kind of break this down outside of who wants this game more. Yeah, I think I, I phrased it a different way with the same sentiment in the good, the bad, the ugly about like this is basically a gut check for, for mm-hmm. Baylor. Like, it's like the check of their manhood. You know, I mean, honestly, it really is. It's like yeah. do you have the, the guts to defend your home turf against this team rolling into town that, that should not beat you. And, you know, are you going to – I mean, honestly, like this is a must-win to me. This is as big of a must-win as they've had maybe all year long, in my opinion, yeah. because of just what it means about where they are. It just as in general, like, kind of like as men. I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it does sort of feel that way of like, do you have any guts? And if, if so, we're going to see it on Saturday. Because mm-hmm. if Houston rolls in here and just beats you up, man, then all it's all over. Like, I mean, as far as getting any sort of belief – rekindled it's over you're uh, losing it, out yeah you're yeah, losing yeah. Out. yeah yeah so all right um before we move into the mailbag here there was one personnel note from this week and it was the addition of a new commit to the 2025 class as Carthage offensive lineman Cash Courtney committed to 
uh, Baylor uh, just, uh, what was that, Sunday night. And uh, he became the third member of the 2025 class, uh, joining quarterback Adam Schobel and also offensive lineman, fellow offensive lineman, and Deshaun Bryant from Duncanville. So that 25 class up to three pledges now. Your thoughts on Cash Courtney and uh, what this means? Yeah, I mean, this is a good pickup for Baylor. 6'4", 265-pound offensive lineman from a really, really good program there in Carthage. And a guy that does a lot of the things that Eric Mateos wants, has that mean, nasty streak in the trenches, uh, athletic enough. Uh, He came to Baylor camp, so did verified testing there. Um, His offer list isn't crazy. He's got a Houston and a UTSA offer. But at the end of the day, I, I think that, uh, you know, the the reaction to his commitment has been very much people putting this season on a prospect. And it's been really frustrating because, like, here's the deal with Baylor. You can go through any class that Baylor has had pretty much in Baylor history, and you're going to find them taking a commit that only has one Power 5 offer or no Power 5 offers. So to put that against a kid who's a 2025 kid, he's not even a senior yet, is absolutely, I just think that's ridiculous. Baylor has to take prospects like this. Their whole class isn't going to be filled of four- and five-star guys. He's going to end up being right around a mid-to-high three-star, which you are able to take in certain classes, in my opinion. You're able to take multiple guys like that and take chances on them. Would you like to have multiple four-stars in your class? Sure, but it's still early stages of this 2025 class. So I felt like that was kind of a ridiculous reaction from some people in the fan base this week. Cash is a very good prospect, fits what Baylor wants on their offensive line, and I I think culturally is also a very good fit as well. So I I just needed to get that off my chest because I felt like it was ridiculous and was one of those things that made you go, wow, so now Baylor's not supposed to take any prospects ever that aren't just like four-star prospects. That's just not living in reality. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's unfortunate uh, for sure, and I get some of the negative sentiment, but I do think there is uh, particularly been on the board and kind of the sway of things of like uh, rallying around the negative almost to an mm-hmm. extent and really embracing that, and a lot of the stuff written that's more negative is more pop, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's just that that's, and I get that that's because of the results, and people are just sort of fed up and, and all that comes with that, but it's like, it's just really negative, you know, yeah. and so I... You know, I know that my article talking about Aranda saying that they're close is not going to get, you know, a big reaction, and I understand that. Um, but it's what he said, and so I'm just like, that, that is what it is. And so, you know, react to it how you want to. But, um, you know, it, it is hard to kind of get anybody excited about things. But I do think, like, something like a commit, like, hey, let's all just enjoy that and, and take that as positive news. But I get that it gets washed out with all of the other, you know, negativity because of, you know, all, all of the uh, – the issues and the the results that uh, that we're seeing each Saturday. So yeah, it's just a rough patch for sure. Uh, all right, questions now. Overall, minion, do y'all think a change at OC would push players to, uh, or we want to keep to the portal or have recruits decommit? Uh, I know y'all have mentioned players leaving would be a problem for us if CDA was removed, but how big of an issue do y'all think it would be at the coordinator level? As always, thank y'all for the great work. Thank you, overall minion. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would be a huge deal depending on who you brought in. I I think, yes, I I do believe that if Dave Aranda left, I I think whoever the coach that came in, I do think there would be a lot of players that leave in a shuffling, but that's natural with a coaching change. That that just simply is what happens, especially in the NIL era. Uh, But OC, I don't think the impact would be as big because most of the time, I mean, a lot of guys are bought into Baylor that come to Baylor. They're, They're not coming to Baylor just for, you know, 
the glitz and glam. They're coming to Baylor because they want to be at Baylor. And so I think if you get an OC that comes in and pushes, you know, the beliefs that Baylor has, the culture that Baylor has, and can show a path towards being successful offensively, I don't see how that would be a huge negative to, to players on the roster. Scotty B, how much the blame should be on the strength and conditioning coach? I mean, it's terrible at the trenches. Yeah, I have huge question marks here. And this is one of those positions that we don't really get concrete evidence on how things are going with strength and conditioning outside of, you know, the videos in the offseason and the numbers and, and how much weight guys are moving around. But we can only go off of what we watch and what we see. And what I'm watching and seeing is an offense line, defense line that's not moving anyone. And if you're not moving anyone, I do think there's probably an issue there from a strength and conditioning standpoint. Now, I recognize some of the guys that are playing are very young and not physically ready, but other guys are old guys. Like, why is Gabe Hall getting pushed five yards backwards as a, what, fifth-year senior? That should not be happening ever. And so, yeah, I do have some questions there. Yeah, I mean, that's always a question whenever things aren't going well. And sometimes it's valid, sometimes it's not. I, I don't know exactly with Vic Valoria, but I do feel like for the amount of older players they do have, like there should be a little bit more pop there. It's at least understandable with some of the younger guys to to an extent. But, yeah, they're, they're just getting they're, – they're not stronger than anybody. They're not pushing anybody around. They're – there's just not a mean streak anywhere to be found. It's just like it's like they go out and they do their job and they punch out and then they go home and it's it's just weird. It's just yeah. really weird. And I know that's not all on strength and conditioning, but part of it is of just like there's there's no pop to this team. Uh, it feels like a lot of the time, um, and they got and they got bullied by Iowa State. I mean, and that's not an old wise you know hardened team that's been all together for years and years. I mean, that's that's a team that lost their starting quarterback and their starting running back at the beginning of the year among other players and yeah they they looked a bit tougher out there useless uh, kim degree is the baylor houston game likely to cause permanent vision loss <laughs> i sure hope not i have to watch it <laughs> yeah i gotta watch it too so i hope not but it, it's it's likely going to be a pretty ugly game. Yeah. Uh, Bears 224. It looks like the staff has moved on from recruiting as much in the 24 class, and we have a pretty low amount of commits for that class than we usually hover around. Does that indicate the staff plans on going all in on the transfer portal in the offseason? Thanks, and Sikkim. So, I mean, this class was always supposed to be smaller, and I think right now you're seeing them kind of wait out for specific recruits. I've mentioned Quan Lacey, the running back from Lancaster, who decommitted from Nebraska. He's a guy that they really want in this class, and so I think we're at the point now where they're being extremely selective with guys that they add to this class. They're not just going to add guys to add guys. They've had a lot of prospects visit as well and haven't sent out offers, so that's kind of where we're at with 2024. I expect official visits to come after the season, so we'll get to kind of know more about where they're at but yes they are going to attack the transfer portal like they did this offseason and I'm hoping to another level and to me that's going to make or break what Dave Randa does you know going forward if he if he returns obviously will make or break things if a new coach is brought in it's going to make or break things as well they have to attack the portal very hard and bring in guys who can actually come in and compete and start and be very um, productive and I also say this with absolutely no insight whatsoever, but it's still hard for me to imagine it's not Dave Aranda running it back again. I mean, as of right now, and I'm so with you. yeah, I think um, you know that is going to be it, what it is, and maybe something prevents that. I don't know. There's still a month to go in the season, but that's what I still expect to be the case. And so yeah, you'd think they attack the transfer portal hard, but it is one of those of like it's now or never. Like mm-hmm. it's there's no more like well we just gotta do this thing. No. It's like no, it's it's got to be pretty much perfect from here on out. 
Uh, Bear Bucks with player development, roster construction, coaching, on the field play, and overall energy from the program being pretty bad this year. What has Aranda and this team done this year that has been a signal that he can fix these issues going forward? I think really the only couple things you can point to are playing young guys and getting them experience and us kind of seeing flashes at times of talented players. And it's not enough in my eyes. It's, it hasn't been enough for anyone in my it, like at all. I mean, they're three and five and they're not going to win very many games the rest of the year. But when you see guys like Caden Jenkins and Carl Williams and Trey Wilson and Trey Emery and just all these young guys that are playing big roles, it does make you think, okay, They've recruited well in these later classes, and maybe it'll make up for those classes that were part rule, part Aranda, that were so bad in 2019 and 2020. And that, I think, is something that can be positive and something that you can at least lean on a little bit. I also do think they have their quarterback that can be very, very good in the Big 12. I think Shapin has proven enough this year that tells me that, hey, this guy is not the reason they're losing football games like many people point to in 2022 which is very important to the health of the program going forward. Yeah, I mean, they also had questions there. I mean, you really have nothing to really grasp onto. But, yeah, after an offseason of kind of hand-wringing about shape, and it's like you don't hear any of that for the most part because everybody's worried about so many other things. And he's played pretty okay given the circumstances. By the way, I forgot to mention, along with Keytron Jackson, uh, Tevin Williams at cornerback and – Tate Williams at the offensive line, uh, all three of those guys likely out with head injuries. Uh, Jackson obviously would be the one that you feel or see and, and would uh, recognize the the most. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, that's something where we talked about Armani Winfield earlier. He's just going to have to be ready to play. And then, you know, those other guys, other guys will need to step up as well. But, uh, yeah, three head injuries that could keep those players out of the game this week. Yeah, and so. they really need – I mean, not having Keytron would be a huge blow. He's been very productive and gotten better and better as the season's gone on. Sammy Gracebeer, Neil Brown was on the hot seat this year, didn't seem to have made any great moves the offseason, but has made a great year of it so far. Not sure how closely you follow WVU, but do you see any similarities between them last year and BU this year, or is this a completely different situation and can't use that as hope? I'm a sunshine pumper and have been to every home game in the UCF game this year, but I am feeling spent going with friends to the UH game because we planned this a while ago, but I am not really looking forward to it. I mean, Neil Brown didn't win anything, and then he comes into this year, and at best, he's going to go 8-4. and four. I mean, and, and that's great, um, and I think expectations at West Virginia are still really high. I think that program feels like they should be really good at football, just like Baylor fans feel like Baylor should be good at football, um, whereas, you know, Aranda's won a Big 12 title, and I know no one wants to hear that anymore, and that that's great, but... Let's not sit here and act like Dave Randa has just been going, you know, four and eight, seven and five, five and seven every single year. He did win a Big 12 championship. The last two years have been disappointing, but I do think you can point to a path where they have success next year, but it is going to have to come from Dave Randa changing a lot of things that he's been doing over recent off seasons and change a lot of things that he's doing with the current staff and the roster construction and management. It's just going to have to change if they're going to get to a point where anyone feels comfortable with what they're doing. But I do think it's possible to change that. Yeah, I don't think there's anything really great that Neil Brown's doing necessarily. Like he's, st- you know, I, I just think that it's it's a team that's come together at the right time for him. <laughs> you know, especially given that he had to really go out there and perform big this year. Uh, but he was he was positive that they had a better team than what was voted to be the bottom dweller in the Big Twelve this year. They took that really. 
um, like a slap in the face, as they should have, because they were voted behind Houston and UCF and Cincinnati, all the new schools. Um, but here he is, it's year five, and they're going to finally win more than six games for the first time in his tenure. So I don't think that you're really pointing at Dave Aranda, who's gone 12-2, and two, and I understand the circumstances and all that, but just point being, I don't think you look at Neil Brown for inspiration on on turning the program around or anything like that. I think it's its own unique situation, and look – there's plenty of West Virginia fans that still don't like him. Like, they're going to make a bowl game, but they're looking at, like, the Oklahoma State loss or the other loss that you want to point to. Um, Houston. Houston, yeah, yeah, the Hail Mary loss. Um, they're close to being even better than they are, but they're also close to not even being where they are. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's, like, some great situation, even though they are having a lot more positive momentum this year. But I, I get the sentiment. I just think it's it's different, and, and there's not really anything that, that gives you uh, – uh, some kind of a magic elixir for for what ails Aranda at the moment. Thank you for the question. Uh, Sikkim from Canada. In this week's Let's Chat, Grayson was asked about realistic OCs we could target. He mentioned Ben Arbuckle from Wazoo. I love the upside with this guy. He's from Texas. I see he pretty much runs a straight-up air raid. Uh, Baylor hires an air raid type OC such as Arbuckle this offseason. Do you think guys that are currently on the roster would fit into that kind of scheme, or would you see us having to hit the portal pretty hard? Yeah, I mentioned a lot of candidates because a lot of talk has been about the offense coordinator position at Baylor um, being kind of up in the air. We'll see in the offseason, but Arbuckle does intrigue me. He's from Texas. Uh, he's a guy that's got a lot of Texas roots, and he does run an air raid. So if you're trying to get to a point where you're completely changing up things, where it certainly seems that's where Baylor is heading, um, then I think he'd be a great candidate. Now, as far as the roster goes, I mean, I look at it, and I think, you know, Blake Shapin would do just fine in air raid offense based on what I've seen so far. Um, and as far as receivers go, I do think that if you're bringing in a coach like this, you're probably going to attack the transfer portal from, for some other receivers. But Keytron and Monterey, that's a pretty good place to start as those two guys will be back next year. If he brings a guy from Washington State or brings in guys from across the country, I, I think this roster will do just fine in that. And I mean, simply put, a lot of these guys played in those spread offenses in, in high school. So it... it it could work, um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, he's got a pretty good little quarterback from Texas up there and Cam Moore. That helps matters up there. They're struggling right now, Wazoo. Um, not necessarily because of the offense, but mm-hmm. uh, they're they're having a little slide right here at the moment. Um, I, I'm reserve any talk about like coaching changes like that. Uh, I know it's it's good for the board and and all of that, but um, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll see just personally when we get there, yeah. and uh, and that's when I'll get serious about some of these names if if it comes to that. Uh, Bears two twenty four second message on this board, so I understand. Okay, wait, uh, sorry, Ryan Rye Pry. What are your thoughts on football strength and conditioning? Is there any talk about making changes in this department? Well, we just talked about that. That's obviously something you got to look into, uh, but as of right now. Uh, I don't think that it's on, you know, the the to do list just yet. But that is something to monitor. And and again, we kind of answered that a few minutes ago. Bears two twenty four second message on the sports. So I understand if you don't have time to answer. But did you hear anything from Alex Foster's visit? And are you concerned with anything he told Texas, or is that normal recruitment jargon? Quote: Texas still has a chance, and I haven't shut down my recruitment at all. I posted a screenshot in a thread of Texas insiders quoting him again. Thanks and sick him. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned that if he visited Texas, I would have concerns. And he, him visiting Texas does mean that he is interested in seeing what Texas has to offer. I mean, again, it's something I've mentioned a lot. I know his comments here, to be 
perfectly honest, those comments are basically just indicative of the actions that he's taking. I mean, that it's not really anything new. It's basically what I've mentioned as far as him. If he took a Texas visit, then that means that there is some interest in Texas, and it should be something that Baylor fans are worried about. He's a very good prospect. He was at Baylor this weekend, had a very nice time. He's going to Texas this weekend as they take on Kansas State. Um We'll see what happens from those visits. Obviously, if he schedules an official visit or if he decommits from Baylor, then, I mean, it's pretty much a wrap. But um, but right now, I, I think it's just one of those things where Baylor's going to have to fight. You know, Dennis Johnson's going to have to continue to fight for Alex Foster and uh, continue to hope that he can hold on to him. I, I think Baylor's still in a, an okay spot, but not in a great spot, that's for sure. Yeah, he's still dating Marigold, but his eyes are over on that, uh, that Bebo girl over there. Like... <laughs> He, he's not ruling it out, you know what I mean? But he's still no. with Marigold, but he's he's also kind of eyeing what's what's going on there with that girl from, from Austin area. Yeah, and this would be a huge loss for this class. He's very good. Like, you go watch his film, and that is a four-star prospect. He's got double-digit sacks this year. He's been very good. Well, the good news is Texas hasn't taken any defensive commits lately. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> right? Just, just all their best defensive commits typically flip to Texas. It feels like that way, at least. We watched Jade Barron have a great year. Byron and, uh, Murphy. Byron Murphy. Alfred have a... Collins. Yeah. Ryan Watts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see here. About to wrap up the last couple. Um, Master Pierce, MPH. Uh, UH has killed a few teams, Texas and West Virginia, by running tons of shallow crossing routes in the past game. What adjustments do you think will happen defensively to limit their ability to manipulate us in the middle of the field? I'm worried as our linebackers are inconsistent and slow compared to UH's small and quick receiving core. Yeah, um, Joseph Manjack, that type of receiver, has given Baylor fits this year. He's a slot receiver, very crafty across the middle of the field, and you're exactly right. The shallow crosses have been a, a big thing uh, that Houston has utilized. I will say, since Carl Williams took over at star, it has helped some, uh, but he got torched a little bit by Jalen Knoll this weekend. So we'll see if he's able to, to recover from that one. I do think that they'll have something for those shallow crosses, but I don't think they'll have something for everything, which is why I do think Houston's going to score points in this game. Um, And I would be worried about the middle of the field. That is where they're going to try to attack. But I also think that will give Baylor opportunities to create uh, turnovers as well. So keep an eye on that. But you you are right. That's going to be something to watch. And Baylor hasn't exactly been great at defending things like that across the middle of the field in the slot. Yeah, neither team's been very good running the football. They'll both attempt to because the other team's not very good at stopping the run. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, again, that's where they kind of look in the mirror a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I think this game comes down to the passing game and who can be more effective or who gives up the least amount of the big plays, um, you know, defending the pass as well. So, um, yeah, uh, this is going to be a, a good challenge. Donovan Smith can, can be a really good player when he's on, and then he can also make some some mistakes. But he when he's on, he can hurt you. Um, as Texas learned uh, a couple of weeks ago, and when he's off, he can throw for eighty-eight yards yeah. like he did against K State. Yeah, that was just that was there. It, that was just a min among boys situation right there. I mean, uh, K State just way <laughs> way ahead of the the development part of things. Golden Green, what do you think of Aranda's message that this team is close to breaking through and being good? I mean, I think it's something you got to tell your players. I mean, I think it's something that when that's you, the thing that people don't realize too yeah. is he's kind of got to say that in some ways. But I, I get it. He's trying to provide confidence, and that doesn't do anything for Baylor fans. I I totally understand that. Um, I also think that if you watch the film, he's not wrong about he's players wrong. being close. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is, is that when you're close all year and you're not making the plays, it's who you are. Yes. And, and that's the problem. Is this is who Baylor is? So. 
the thing of it is, is they're going to have to get lucky with turnovers. They're going to have to be very good on special teams, and they're going to have to just have guys make enough plays if they're going to win any games going forward. That's the way it is. And it's the same thing for Houston, honestly. That, it's the exact same way. Um, but I think that that was more of a message to the players, to the coaches, because they need to stay bought in and they need to find a way to go out and get a win. So why not tell them they're close and try to correct those little things instead of saying, yeah, we're just terrible? Because, I mean, that that does nothing. Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well. I mean, I think it's the messaging that he has to use uh, because they still have four more games to go, and they can't just say, all right, well, let's get the mentality of the fans out there, and this season's over, and we're screwed, and we're not any good, and all that. Like, you just that, That's not the way that you can operate. Um, so he, he's saying what he has to say. I also do think he believes that to some extent, but like Grayson just uh, said, you know, looks like a duck, talks like a duck, walks like a duck, it's a duck, and, you know, they might be close, and he's certainly got some points you can look to in every game this season of, like, if this dude just catches this ball, or this guy just makes this block, or, yeah, then maybe they win the game, but the problem is that every team in America can, not like Houston K-State, you'd have to have a hundred things go differently, but every team in America can look at, like, a bunch of games in their schedule and go, well, if this would have happened, but it didn't, though, and so in Baylor's case, when you're saying that for, like, seven of your eight games, you know, it's like, no, you're not close. That's just, you're you're not good enough. You're good enough to be close, but you're not good enough to be any better than mm-hmm. on the losing end of close more often than not. And so, yeah, I think it's just, it's a positive messaging, um, and it's not totally off, but it's definitely not what the fans want to hear, but he's not really speaking to the fans. I don't think he's trying to, I think he already knows he's not going to convince the fans of anything no. by doing anything other than winning. And so when that's not happening, he's got to worry about his football team. So I, I get it, but I also get the, the sort of backlash as well from the from the fan point of view. Um, all right, uh, last question here. Brick Park, assuming Keetron Jackson is, uh, thank you, Golden Green. Assuming Keetron Jackson is out against Houston, what should we expect to see from Armani Winfield? Yeah, and it, it seems like he's going to be out, according to Aranda. It's not looking good, not likely, is the word that he used. So, I mean, Armani, I, I think that Armani's going to have to play well. I mean, he's probably going to have to have at least like 50 yards receiving, be something on the outside for them because they don't have Hal Presley, they don't have Keetron Jackson. So it's him, it's Josh Cameron, but it's really Monterey Baldwin and Drake Tabney. They just need a few plays here and there from these other guys and maybe Jordan Neighbors. I'd like to see him out there more just because at least he provides some sort of pop and some sort of explosiveness when he has the football. Uh, But in general, yeah, I, I think Armani maybe like a a three for 40 type game, three for 50. I'm not expecting like a hundred yard, two touchdown game. That would be like a career day for him. It would be three for 40. So, I mean, yeah, anything you can get from Armani Winfield, I think would be positive. He's still young, but I mean, you do need him to start to kind of come along and especially given just sort of the, the wow factor you got with his commitment. He's expected to be a big playmaker for you. And so you'd like to see that start to develop and see him get his hands on a few more catches um, and kind of get revved up and get going and at least get some momentum heading in the next year, you know, over this last stretch run where he's going to get a lot more playing time than usual. So I'm not expecting huge things um, or some big breakout game, but, you know, just something, like you said, like three catches for I don't know how many yards, but something positive, something with a nice little – uh, yard per catch and, and maybe a little bit of run after. That's what they really need, too, is they need, like, some run after the catch. They need some some guys that just bust out and make plays happen. And right now there's, again, it's Baldwin, it's Dabney, um, and just maybe once in a while. I think Dawson Pendergrass is on occasion making his way into, like, making a play, but it's not consistent enough, you know, just – but he's he's – He's at least somebody that flashes a little bit for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Him and Drake and Monterey and Keytron flash some outside of that. It, it's just, 
it's and there's no one that's just like every game you see flashes. Monterey's Monterey getting close. Yeah. He is now, but at the beginning of the year, he right. <laughs> he was not not even really in the lineup. No. So it, it's been ups and downs for everyone. For sure. All right, so I think we've about covered everything. New commit, uh, good to see that, and congratulations uh, to uh, the new, what's his name? Cash Courtney. Cash Courtney. Yeah. I was thinking it's Zach for some reason. Cash Courtney, my apologies. The big Carth- Carthage offensive lineman come into the class of 2025, so that was some good news on the recruiting trail. That's obviously about to ramp up in a major way here over these next few weeks with uh, National Signing Day number one arriving in uh, mid-December, so six weeks away, give or take, from from that going down. And uh, this obviously this last stretch run, the last month of the season, unless they can find three wins and then this will extend a little bit. But we know for sure this is going to be a very interesting month one way or the other, and there's a lot of just change building and brewing and bubbling. We just don't know exactly what that's going to look like here over the next couple of months, but it, it's coming for sure. So let's get into some Big 12 picks to close this on out this All right, week. Let's be quick on these. 6 p.m. on FS1 Thursday night game. TCU travels to Texas Tech. Tech is a three-point favorite. The over-under is 59 points. Both these teams need a win just to get close to making a bowl game. Yeah, Baron Morton will be back. It's Thursday night in Lubbock, so that should lead me to Texas Tech, but I'm going TCU for some reason. Uh, I'm going, I think TCU is better. I, I I don't think that they're great. I think that there are definitely questions at quarterback still with Josh Hoover, but I just think they have better playmakers, and uh, I'm going with the Frogs. I picked this game earlier uh, in the week on the Crystal Ball College Football Channel, and it was the same thing as you. I just feel better about TCU for some reason, but both these teams trending down. I'll take TCU, but I think this will be a, a pretty close game and a pretty ugly game, to be honest, on Thursday night. Next game up, uh, 11 a.m. on Fox. Kansas State travels to Texas. Texas, a four-point favorite. The over-under is 51 points. By the way, it's a huge weekend for the Big 12. Massive weekend. The top six all play each other. They're all bunched up there now with Oklahoma's loss uh, and no undefeateds remaining. There's just a bunch of one-loss teams, a bunch of two-loss teams. And so you've got K-State, I mean, Texas, Bedlam, and then – K-State or Kansas-Iowa State's also a huge game. So this is going to be a very fun weekend. Dude, um, I probably should go with Texas, but I'm feeling Kansas State here. If this was in Manhattan, I would definitely pick Kansas State. The only reason I have pause is because it's in Austin. Um, but right now, I'm by the end of the week, I might change, but I, I'm kind of feeling Kansas State. But this game being in Austin is really messing with me. How are you feeling about this I one? got K-State. Okay. I think they're the better football team right now. I don't, I do I don't too. trust Malik Murphy yet, and I like the way Kansas State is playing. So, yeah, I would definitely take them plus four, and I think Kansas State's going to win this game outright. But it should be a pretty fun one and a pretty good one even in Austin. Oh, yeah, should be a great game. Yeah, I, I'm leaning K-State uh, to win on the road. I think they're just playing like a juggernaut right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, Texas is obviously still very dangerous. So, yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Next game, 2.30 p.m. on ABC. Bedlam. Oklahoma travels to Oklahoma State. Uh, OU's a six-point favorite. The over-under 62 points. Tons of emotion in this game. Yeah, Oklahoma with a tough loss to Kansas. Tywee Walker gets hurt late in that game. That obviously hurt what they had been pretty effective with. Uh, He had a huge performance prior to that, and then all of a sudden you can't even go to him at all. But uh, give credit to Kansas. Um, uh, I, I I think Oklahoma played well enough to win that game until they didn't play well enough to win that game in crunch time. I'm I'm taking them in Stillwater. They own Bedlam, and I think that after a couple of close calls and one of them being a loss, 
Um, I think they can stop the run and Ollie Gordon. I think that puts pressure on Alan Bowman and an unproven receiving core. And so give me uh, Oklahoma to roll into Stillwater and, and break up this uh, this fun little streak of the Cowboys. I think this is the uh, Alan Bowman cost you a game game for Oklahoma State. I trust Dylan Gabriel more, even though I know he had a tough performance throwing the football against Kansas. But I think in this one against a bad defense, he'll do enough. Oklahoma wins this game, but it's close. Something like 34-30 should be a lot of fun. The emotions are going to be oh, insane. Crazy. By the way, Ollie Gordon's run over the oh. last month is He's one of the, of the year in the Big 12. Better, yeah, yeah, for sure. One of the better runs that I've seen uh, in, in a while. Uh, but his his last month, just look at his box score, is insane. Wait till he gets to play UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston the rest of the way. <laughs> yeah. uh, next on the slate, uh, 2.30 on FS1, UCF travels to Cincinnati. UCF's a four-and-a-half-point favorite over under 59-and-a-half. Uh, I'm going UCF. Uh, man, this is the battle of who gets their first Big 12 win. Uh, so, yeah, give me the Knights on the road. Um, you can't really trust either one of these teams, but I do think they have a bit more punch uh, overall. Too explosive. I'm going to take UCF. I think Cincinnati is about to uh, give up and pack it in for the year. Next up, 6 p.m. on ESPN. Kansas travels to Iowa State. Iowa State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite over under 54 points. Man. Uh, man. No Jalen Daniels probably again. Jason Bean did not throw the ball well. He had – or no, he did throw the ball pretty well at times. Uh, no, he didn't. Two picks. Nah, no, that's right. Yeah, he think, had a couple runs. He, he had a couple runs that were affected. But, yeah, he had the two picks, no touchdown. So, he wasn't able to throw the ball that well. Uh, Kansas does run the ball well. But, I, I don't know. Give me Iowa State at home. They're kind of surging right now. And they're going to play good defense and, and do just enough offensively, I feel like. Yeah, trap game for Kansas. I got Iowa State here to win rather easily. 34-21. I, I like the Cyclones in their moment. Right now, next up, 6 p.m. on FS1, BYU travels to West Virginia. West Virginia, 10-point favorite, over-unders 51 points. Yeah, give me the Mountaineers at home. Uh, I think that they're playing pretty well. It was a good win for them last week uh, to right the ship. And um, I think that, you know, they've got something good going on at quarterback right now with Garrett Green. They're, uh, you know, they need to get Donaldson ramped up a bit more, but he had a pretty okay game last week, which is a positive step forward for him. Um, but, yeah, give me, give me West Virginia at home, the, the old school versus new school. West Virginia big, 41-20. to 20. I, I like their offense, and I don't think BYU is very good, especially on the road. Agreed there. Next up, 2.30 p.m., the last game of the weekend. Houston travels to Baylor. Baylor is a four-point favorite. The over-under is 58 points. Four points. <laughs> four-point home favorite. Last time I'm doing this, I'm taking Baylor. Um, If they can't win this game, then I I just feel like all hope's kind of lost as far as this season goes. They should be better than Houston. They should beat Houston, especially at home. Uh, If they don't get a win at McLean this time around, then, man, it's going to be really hard to to spin that in any kind of a way that's not just really bad uh, for for the direction of the program. So, yeah, give me Baylor. I feel like this is a must-win in some ways, and I do think that they should be a better team, especially at home. So give me the Bears. We're going to find out who's given up, and Baylor has to win a game at home. Like, Dave Randa's got to find a way to get his guys ready for this game. I think it's going to be a close one, though. Four points is a lot of points. I'll take Baylor 31-28, but uh, this is going to be a fun one. I I think both teams will score, and I think ultimately it's going to come down to just who wants it more. And I don't know why, but I'm betting on Baylor for that. I don't know why I'm doing that. One more, Yeah, I know. One more time, though. I mean, one more time. uh, And, you know, part of that's just what we've seen from Houston as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure Houston fans are feeling kind of split on this, uh, you know, at the same time. It's hard to think they're just going to roll into Waco and win after they got beat 41 to nothing last week. I know K-State's a different animal, but still. So there's the picks for this week in the Big 12. Um, Have fun with that, and um, 
we appreciate everybody that's a part of this podcast every single week, whether just listening uh, or asking questions as well. You can always look for Grayson's thread each week, posted normally on Mondays to uh, get into the mailbag and ask your questions. But the Houston Cougars coming up, uh, just four games to go. And uh, this one's a big one. This one very much a must win as we've been talking about. And uh, we'll have a lot to unpack from this one next week. Anything before we head out here, Grayson? Nope, just a big game this week for this program, I think, going forward. Agreed. Thanks to Gary Ross behind the scenes. And uh, please, before you go, hit like and subscribe if you haven't already. We'll talk to you next week at 11.15 Tuesday, post-Houston. And looking forward to who do they play after that? On the road versus... uh, Kansas State. It's Kansas State. So (laughs) there will be an interesting conversation next week for sure. Appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you next week. This has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.